Oh, cool. It's Lunar New Year. Welcome, everybody. Anyways, um, welcome to Disrupt TV. We're going to do our quick backroom discussion. We'll do some quick introductions from David, Michelle, then Deb Johnny. And then, of course, we'll talk about what's going on. I'm Ray Wong here and uh, with my awesome co-host, co-founder, Bala Afshar, our awesome producer, L. And more importantly, we're here sponsored by Robots and Pencils. And we'll talk a little more about them uh, after the introduction. So real quick, David. Uh, where are we calling in from and what are we going to talk about today real quick so our guests have some context. Calling in from uh, Reston, Virginia and um, CEO will be talking a little bit about internal communication and uh, in that digital world. Very, very cool. Thank you. Michelle, where are we calling in from and what are we talking about? Calling in from Chicago and I'm going to be talking about customer success. Woohoo, CSM. All right, Dev Johnny, where are we calling in from? And oh my God, tell us what happened. So, <laughs> well, I'm calling in from Delhi, India. And uh, yeah, we just had a little earthquake. So, but all good now. And I'll be talking about the uh, reinvention of the extremely large Indian ID services and the, and the kind of leadership that they have shown in this crisis. Excellent. All right, with that, L, let's do the honors and we will start the show. So, all right. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, or distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV and we'll do our best to answer them live. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research he is the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business and Breaking News. This year, he's coming out with a new book, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. we we'll learn more about the new book in subsequent shows. He's a regular television, business, and technology news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg. I see him every day on TV. He's also a global sought-after keynote speaker. And in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my awesome co-host, Bala Afshar. As you know, he's the number one person to follow if you're a CEO, CIO, CMO around the world for inspirational comments and thoughts. He's also a keynote speaker himself. I see him on business TV and, of course, doing a lot of speeches and working with executives at all levels. Um, with that, it's not about us. It's really about our awesome guests. Before we talk about that, I want to thank our sponsors, Robots and Pencils. But we do have someone very, very special and very, very influential coming in from Delhi. Who's our guest? It's what an honor to have our next guest, one of the, my favorite people that I know, uh, Johnny Ghosh, president of NASCOM, National Association of Software and Services Companies. Johnny has been the president since 2018, veteran of technology industry. Johnny is the fifth president of NASCOM and the first woman at the helm of this three-decade-old organization. Dabjani is a firm believer in the power of technology and enhancing lives and livelihoods, leveraging it for societal good. I have witnessed this firsthand. Dabjani was instrumental in developing Think Digital, Think India strategy aimed at establishing India as a hub for digital talent and innovation. As a NASCOM president, Dabjani actively works with industries and governments to accelerate the growth of industry and strengthen India's position as the hub of innovation and digital talent. 
Before joining NASCOM, Devjani was the first woman to lead Intel India and Manufacturers Association for Information Technology. In 2018, Devjani was facilitated by the President of India under the auspice of a First Ladies program, which honors exceptional women pioneering their respective fields. During the most volatile pandemic 2020, Dabjani has been honored by Vogue as the tech leader of the year 2020. Dabjani was also listed among India's most powerful women in tech by business today. Sincerely, one of the most powerful persons that I know, period. Uh, Dabjani is a wonderful follow on Twitter at Dabjani underscore G-H-O-S-H, Ghosh underscore. Welcome, Dabjani, to the Shrock TV. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vala. Thank you so much, Ray. And Vala, you are just, you're just so kind. One of my favorite people, and you're always so kind. <laughs> thank you, Johnny. Well, thank you so much for being here. And, and let's really help our viewers understand what NASCOM is, how it got started, and how you got involved uh, with NASCOM, and give them some context before we talk about some of the other wonderful things that have been going on. Sure. So, you know, the NASCOM story is a very interesting one. NASCOM got set up in the late 1980s, around 88, 1988, if I remember right. Uh, at which point in time, the Indian IT industry was a fledgling industry, less than 100 million, maybe around 50 million. But it had leaders who had huge dreams. It had leaders like FC Kohli, who went to set up TCS wow. and known TCS. as the father of Indian industry, Nara and Murthy. Um, you know, these leaders were giants. And they all believed that software and services would be the future of technology and that India could become a global superpower if we played our cards right. You know, and this is where real, real leadership comes in. You put your ego aside and you start thinking about what can you do? What's the best way to achieve the goal? And they realized that if they tried it individually, this would be a very difficult task. But if they could all get together and work together, this goal could absolutely be achieved. So that was how NASCOM started. 40 such leaders came together. A person who was instrumental in setting this up was Harish Mehta, who's still around and still sort of the father figure in NASCOM. And um, they set it up with the sim you know, simple goal of making India a global player. And today, the Indian IT industry is a 190-plus billion industry across 80 countries, one of the largest employers in India, 4 million-plus people. But you know, the one thing that hasn't changed is that power of collaboration. NASCOM brings together the most fierce competitors. But yeah. when they come together, in, in fact, people call us a, the coalition of competitors, which I love. You know, we bring together the most fierce competitors and then we make them work for the industry to solve the problems of the industry. It's a pretty unique concept. Um, and, you know, when I, I had finished 21 years with Intel and uh, in the last five of which was in India. And I fell in love with India. I fell in, absolutely in love with India. And I realized that, you know, given that my passion was about the impact of technology. I, no, I'm not an engineer. So what, what gets me is really what technology can do for people. Um, there was no better place than India. India is the best playing ground for technology and to, to push the envelope on technology. 
So I was looking for something to do uh, which would allow me to have a bigger impact with respect to uh, you know, deployment of technology in India. And thankfully, at that point, NASCOM was looking for a new president. So stars got aligned. And uh, last three years have been just a dream come true for me. It's an amazing, amazing organization. I have witnessed NASCOM conferences in New York, in, in Mumbai. Uh, I, you know, I have the good fortune of pre-pandemic attending 50 plus conferences a year and the level of influence, uh, you know, one by one, you meet titans of industry and you're shaking hands and you're having dinner and you're having intimate conversations. And these are literally titans of industry. And it's not just the Indian economy. I'm talking global companies. I'm talking, you know, the top leaders from Accenture, IBM, Google, you name it. So it's uh, it's remarkable uh, the amount of influence that NASCOM has. And speak of influence, you know, the tech industry in India was much like the rest of the world had to overnight move from predominantly uh, an, an on-campus model to a nearly a hundred percent remote model in a light switch. So as a trusted advisor, as a consortium of thought leadership at the highest levels, can you share some insights? in terms of the impact of the pandemic, creating this hard pivot to a decentralized digital only model that frankly, for some businesses was, you know, a Herculean effort. Yeah, well, one interesting fact, Vala, in India, there, there's a, there used to be a regulation, it still is, but it's changed now, but there used to be a regulation called OSP which did not allow uh, most of our companies, at least companies that dealt with data, voice, et cetera, to, uh, to have their employees work out of the campus. So remote work was legally not possible. So when uh, the pandemic struck and we were getting into this whole lockdown mode, one of the big things that NASCOM did was you know, just work hand in hand with government to make them realize that we don't have an option of shutting down. If we shut down, everything shuts down, hospital shut down, government shut down, banks shut down. So we don't have the option of shutting down. And the government, I have to say, really partnered with us every step of the way. The first thing was getting our industry to be called out as essential services because Technology was pretty much the lifeline for survival uh, in the lockdown. So calling us out is essential. And then, you know, giving us relaxations around these regulations that existed, OSP, et cetera, so that we can move not just people, but we had to move assets. We had to move 4 million people and around 2 million assets, laptops, um, desktops, whatever have you, printers to their homes. We had to get, you know, invest significantly in cybersecurity as an industry so that people working from homes could keep their clients' businesses safe. Um, so, so this, all of this was done in a matter of like 10 days. Uh, I don't think any of us slept <laughs> a wink during those 10 days. All of this was done because the central government very quickly changed the law then we had to work with state by state, state governments, municipal districts, cops. It, it, you know, it was just completely crazy. But this is where, again, the power of collaboration came to play. Everyone got together. So it wasn't one company, a TCS or a Wipro, fighting for themselves. 
everyone got together and we were all fighting for the industry. Um, and in all this, while all this was happening, I remember there was a lot of concern that, you know, a lot of analysts were writing in the papers that Indian IT is dead. There is no way they're going to be able to survive this, right? And uh, we wanted to send out a message to, to our customers, to the world out there that, no, we are not. Um, and I remember as we were having these discussions, our prime minister took out a tweet. He tweeted about the commitment of the government to Indian IT and our ministers followed, et cetera. And what a difference that made because everybody knew that the industry had the government support. The government had our back, right? It made a huge difference. So, yeah, and, and you know, one part of it was just moving 99% of our workforce, literally 99% of our workforce to work from home. But then came the other issues, employee engagement, mental health. A lot of Indian homes are not meant for work from home. So how do you resolve these issues? And once again, Vala, I'm just so proud of the industry because every leader came together to say, okay, here's what I have learned. Here's my best practice. So that we could then start sharing all of that large, small, big companies, startups. Our startups were going through such a turmoil and a lot of these learnings were able to help them too. So yeah, it, 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 it literally took a village to make this happen. <laughs> and this is where the power of collaboration just came into place so beautifully. Well, keep in mind your villages are not that. Have happened Sorry, would that transition, would, oh, would, that, would, it, would, it, would it have happened in 10 days if NASCOM wasn't in place? And I, and I know you're not gonna talk about NASCOM getting credit, but I just feel like having this consortium that brings all of these major companies and major government officials, all of the events that I've participated with NASCOM in attendance includes, you know, uh, highest level government officials uh, who are making decisions that impact the entire country. I, I would I would assume that the role of NASCOM bringing that emphasis of essential workers and ability to change laws to to adjust qu quickly was instrumental in making this pivot. See, NASCOM's the glue that brings them all together. Yeah, and it's not yeah. me. It's it's the association. It's the people, yeah. right? We're the glue that brings everyone together. And without people coming together, without collaboration, none of this would right. have happened. Right. No, it's a great point. I, I mean, I, I was our, a lot of our clients and a lot of people we work with also were, were in that mix and just trying to get VPN set up and, uh, you know, get a PC <laughs> shipped out of the company. Like it was unheard of. Like people were taking their you know computers home. Right. And, and making sure they had a connection. And, and it was quite a chaotic time. But uh, but it turned out that the Indian IT industry bailed out the rest of the world while they were in the middle of a pandemic. And I think people people will not forget that. So that's, sure. uh, that's something big. Um, and this is really talking about leadership in crisis. I mean, you're experiencing it right now, and, and you've seen the leaders step up to the plate. Uh, but from your point of view and from what you've seen, what does leadership in crisis look like to you? Um, it's something that you can you have to trust. I think that's the most important thing. I've, you know, I've just m interacted with so many fascinating leaders. Um, I mean, I've known them. They're friends. But in the crisis, what I realized is they all share certain common traits. And the first one is they, they can be trusted with our lives, literally with our lives. You know, and it came out so strongly in the crisis. The, 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 because I don't think 
if if you don't have the trust then honestly nothing else matters so that was the first thing there are people who really command trust who can be trusted i think the second thing i i found was uh, a sort of you know a forward looking vision these were the people who were saying you know the past is the past uh, we have a whole future to look forward to and we are going to create this future so don't give up don't lose hope we're going to you know this is an opportunity for us to rebuild together and we can rebuild better so you know it they forward looking which i loved about the, the way they created these stories um the third thing to me was uh, you know just what i saw and i and i saw it uh, really magnified amplified in in 2020 was humility just you know saying that listen guys i don't have all the answers you know i don't know how this is going to play out so uh, uh, leaders were standing up and saying i really don't know this but you know we have to figure it out or this is how we are going to work on it and that was a very very different thing uh, for me to see because uh, you see them on a pedestal and you you know like you sort of see them as knowing everything but they came down and uh, i think humility authenticity you know became extremely these are buzzwords we are used to but i think 2020 was then when they became really very very real and uh, i i saw leaders get connecting with customers and employees like they had never done before and i keep telling them as i talk to the leaders do not give up on zoom and do not give up on even when you go back because thanks to it your employees have seen a lot more of you than they would have ever seen in the past mm-hmm. you know you have been listening to your employees a lot more than you would have so i think they took the time and same for customers and i think last but not the least i would say um it, it, you know just resilience hmm. that all of us felt in 2020 in some way or the other right but being able to fall forward and being able to you know get up and dust it off and say let's move along and get people along but that's what it looked leadership looked like to me um in 2020 and i loved it i loved it i hope we do not lose that absolutely absolutely we've had a number of uh, it industry leaders from india on our show we had the president of wipro talking about keeping their kitchens going in their headquarters even though there were no employees in the buildings so that they could feed 6 million uh, of the community and shipping food and also all, all community near the campus yeah, yeah all they, of they, exactly they, so it's, it's i amazing. think they, they made it much bigger than their business you know yes. they all made this much bigger than the business they they i mean from feeding people to setting using campuses to set up quarantine safe quarantine zones for people because a lot of people could not quarantine at homes right. um it was just amazing how these companies um due to at one point we had over 15 companies indian mnc's 15 companies that got together put their best engineers on the job under nascom and they worked with us to create a complete end to end solution that our governments could use at the height of covid to track and to you know to to, to track hospital usage to track uh, 
to do the contact tracing, et cetera, et cetera. A complete package that was given free of cost to uh, several state governments to use, created collaboratively by over 15 companies. That's amazing. My final question to you, Devjani, you know, again, as the president of NASCOM, the most influential consortium of technology leaders in India and abroad, how has the pandemic changed your agenda? You have a big show coming up, big conference coming up. You're, you're, you have fireside chats with some of the CEOs of the largest companies in the world. As you look forward to this new normal, you know, we're entering, you know, year two of the pandemic. Uh, how has the NASCOM agenda adjusted to this distributed digital construct that's now the future of work and, and, and society as a whole? I believe this is an opportunity for us to create the next norm, um, right. to work together to really create the rules of the next norm. And I do believe that since we have the opportunity to rebuild, uh, we can correct a few of the wrongs of the past. Uh, we can build the future to be much more sustainable. We must build the future to be much more inclusive. So we, we have the opportunity to correct some of these wrongs. And as the tech industry, I honestly believe that we don't have an option but to lead uh, this charter. We have to do it. I mean, it's our technology that's going to be used to, to change the future, to create the future. So we have to lead. And therefore, as NASCOM, um, I think the first thing is defining the parameters of future of work. That's one of the big priorities we have now. What does it look like? What does hybrid mean? Um, you know, how does this entire thing play out? Um, and as we build it out, how do we ensure that the new work models or the hybrid work models are going to be much more inclusive? They're going to be much more sustainable, um, you know, much more secure. So how do we build these things into these work models? That's number one for us. And I think the second big priority for us is we need to, we need to ensure there is a framework uh, created for responsible build and use of tech. I think it's going to be critical. It's going to be critical given the role technology is playing in our lives today. And I don't think we can leave it just to government to figure out what regulation should be. This has to be a joint effort. This has to be industry and government working together. So I would say that those are sort of the two biggest things that we are focused on right now. This is wonderful. Terrific. Thank you so much. We're here with Debjani Ghosh, president at NASCOM. You can follow her on Twitter at Debjani underscore Ghosh. Um, and more importantly, Catch the NASCOM conference February 17th through 19th. It's going to be happening. The NASCOM Technology and Leadership Forum. I believe it's the 29th year. Is that correct? So 29th year, and it's going to be opened by the Prime Minister. I see. All wow. right, Modi will be congratulations. Modi will Amazing. be opening up. The, congratulations. So thank you so much, and good luck, and thanks for being with us so late in the evening. Thank so, you, Deb. Thank you so much. Lovely talking to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. What a what a privilege, Ray. Um, one of the smartest senior executives that I know, and uh, NASCOM is clearly one of the most influential bodies governing the future of IT globally, not just India. Uh, speaking of brilliant executives, our next guest is Michelle McCarthy, Global Vice President of Customer Success at Unit 4. Over the past 17 years, Michelle has worked in business-to-consumer marketing within retail and nonprofit space and the B2B SaaS and tech space leading global customer success organizations. 
Michelle has helped to build and scale customer success functions and evangelize customer first mindset, which we're gonna learn about throughout complex transformations. Michelle has been equal parts, boots on the ground in implementing game-changing tools and driving growth and retention, as well as strategic uh, initiatives that amplify voice of the customer and building teams and culture that are set up to win. Welcome, Michelle, to Disrupt TV. Wow, thank you. Thank you for having me. Our pleasure. Hey, we're excited to have you, and it's one of our favorite topics. I remember kicking it with uh, Nick Meta, sitting somewhere in Palo Alto, talking about the future of customer success, where customer success management was going. He's like, I'm going to join this startup, and we're going to like revolutionize this world, talking about customer success management. And I was like, really? Like, when's this going to happen, right? And he, suddenly, next thing we know, it's everything. Every cloud company starts with CSM. Every cloud company worries about these metrics. So what's your philosophy around customer success? You've seen it from both the B2B and B2C side, and this field is evolving rapidly. It is. Well, I really want to know what shoes Nick was wearing when you met with him, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> um, he's always got his fashion on point. But um, no, he's I mean, customer success to me is is really more of an ethos, not a department. You know, it's it's become that critical growth engine and secret sauce for companies that are looking to ensure that their customers are deriving value and quantifiable outcomes from their products and solutions. You know, it's it's not just about creating happier customers, although we certainly want that. It is about making sure that we're with them all along their journey every step of the way. I, I think, I, sorry. Ray, you're on mute. We're definitely seeing that. It's one of the big topics that people are having. I mean, it's one of the challenges really of trying to figure out what is that customer journey because it's not linear. So sorry about that. Um, go ahead, Bella. I, I'm really glad to hear that it's a philosophy as someone who I was a chief customer officer before I joined Salesforce. And I would always remind my peers that, uh, you know, customer services in a department and, and, and success uh, is, is a philosophy. For, for us at Salesforce, customer success is our uh, number two core value after trust and only two out of four core values. And the field of customer success was evolving rapidly throughout 2019 pre-pandemic. And then, uh, you know, once in a lifetime event took place last year and we're still through it. Can you talk about the philosophy in terms of customer success and how it's evolved given this uh, new normal uh, that we've experienced uh, you know, since last year in the pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, as you said, customer success is continuing to change. And I think um, you know, it's, it's become, like we said, the cornerstone and, and really a critical business function in any industry that's looking to create um, exceptional customer experiences. And it's one of the key places that companies are continuing to invest heavily in. And I think we saw that, you know, as we went into the pandemic um, and, and certainly now and, you know, as we are starting to hopefully emerge from, from some of that, you know, I think we'll continue to see expanded remit in the, in the space of customer success and helping to uncover more white space and expansion with our customers. But in terms of, you know, what we've done, you know, really customer success needs to be rallying around their customers with everyone in the current environment. Um, and just like all of us, and, you know, a lot of what we just heard on, on the last talk um, that really resonated with me is, you know, that trust and making sure that customers are feeling heard, feeling cared for, and feeling always connected. So whether that's focusing on building more community offerings for them, um, online communities where they can network with their peers, sounding board, understand best practices, and really where they have found success in their business, 
Um, and also from a customer success standpoint, making sure that we continue to be proactive with our customers, sounding boarding with them, being empathetic and open to new ways and creative solutions for their business, right? Um, and, and solutions that may not you know, cost more for those customers, right? Things that hopefully are helping them work within what they already have to better adopt and utilize the technology that's already in play. Absolutely. Yeah, no, we're definitely seeing this big shift. And when we think about those communities, that's one of the areas where, you know, we're seeing customer success, communities, people helping each other out, um, really coming together, uh, especially, you know, given what's been happening now. Um, when we see, when we think about this future of customers in general going to 2021, what, sh what shifts are, are, are happening, right? I mean, do does the customer success manager and customer success management change from its current role of kind of being outside of sales, but outside of service and sitting in that little in-between zone? Or does it take a different kind of role of prominence as well in terms of what you're seeing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think if there's three kind of key areas I see in terms of the future with customer success, one is, and it's becoming more and more important now, we're, we're all feeling it, it's that continued focus on onboarding, training, and knowledge transfer in order to ensure that they yes. can realize yeah. value right away. Um, and get the most significant value, right, um, based on those, those new services and features. Also, um, making sure that we're expanding new ways of working with customers. You know, folks like at TSIA and Gainsight, right, great thought leaders in the space. Um, you know, I think that there's lots of new dynamic models that are coming into play with customer success where uh, leaders were looking at kind of this traditional high-mid digital touch, which is still very, very much prominent and a great way to go to market. Um, in fact, that's it's a, it's a very similar way that we go to market at Unit 4. I think that we're going to continue to see other dynamic ways of going to market with other support functions within the organization as we put customer success at the heart and as the customer centricity continues to play out within organizations where everybody understands the role they play all along the journey. I got to give my friend John Ragsdale a shout out. Yeah, he's definitely one of those. I actually worked for him. He hired me into Giga Forster back in the day. So definitely oh, wow. helps Very cool. pushing that out there. Very cool. So, Very yeah. cool. So, TSIA. Um, so. TSIA, yes. Um, you know, I have the good fortune of um, learning from uh, Fortune 500 clients here at Salesforce. And I think without exception, every engagement at some point touches safety. Uh, how do we bring, and these are large companies, so enterprise, large enterprise, how do we bring our stakeholders, customers, partners, uh, employees safely back to a hybrid environment? So uh, uh, identifying, isolating, contact tracing, being able to, oh, so almost every company is thinking like a health company. Uh, many of these Fortune 500 have chief medical officers on board, including my company. So the culture of companies is, uh, because of the pandemic, is leaning towards safety as a brand pillar. Regardless of how good your product or service, if you can't protect the safety of your stakeholders, it could really tarnish your brand. So how, how much do you see cost, uh, company culture impacting the revolution of customer success where, you know, I didn't even know what contact tracing was a year and a half ago. <laughs> so this rapid, uh, knowledge transfer and understanding of how to lean into technology process and talent to create uh, uh, a healthy environment. So I think the definition of success is, is, is changing uh, given the environment we're part of. Can you talk to us about cultural transformation in terms of shaping the new normal when we define success for our customers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, culture is so critical, as you said, to driving a customer-centric uh, culture throughout the organization. And um, when companies take care of their employees, and we've, we've heard this from folks like Richard Branson and others, but when when companies are taking care of their employees and employees are coming to work, they're, they feel valued, they enjoy the work that they're doing, they feel like they're making an impact, that's really going to translate then to that customer experience and the way that they work with customers. Um, companies create a great customer culture when they ensure that they're putting the voice of the customer really at the heart of everything we do. So, you know, at Unicor, we have a voice of customer counsel. You know, we bring the feedback back from our MPS surveys, from our CSAT, from everything that we do. And then we don't just, you know, that's it's very cyclical. We need to make sure we're closing that feedback loop with customers. So I think, you know, our culture kind of soup to nuts is about making sure that uh, when we hear something from the customer, it's a bias to take action and make sure that they understand that what the outcome is going to be within our organization. That's great feedback. No, uh, being able to action the feedback from customers, that closed loop, I think is critically important. Uh, I often find that customers are mature, companies are mature in capturing feedback, but perhaps not so mature in terms of closing the loop. And that's right. really the, that's, that's, that's scoring when you're in the red zone, you know, to get that touchdown, right. you gotta get the feedback part right. Uh, absolutely, great feedback. Yeah, no, and a lot of this also internal culture, right? I mean, what what has to be there for customer success to you know be there? Like when you're looking at customer success managers, there are probably certain traits, certain things that they've done in the past. I know a lot of people are interested in getting into that role. It's a very exciting role so inside SaaS organizations, but also in companies that have subscription business models, they're definitely pumping in, uh, and you know, looking for the right type of talent. Like, what are some good traits that people should be thinking about? And for those out there thinking about jumping into the customer success uh, field, yeah, I mean. Aside from looking for people that are all awesome at working with people and customers, um, you know, I, I gotta like people first. Yes. Yeah, I gotta like people first. first. Um, I think, you know, definitely looking for people that are curious, people that like to peel the onion and ask the deeper, more probing questions, understand customer pain points, what are their jobs, what are their challenges. Um, and, you know, maybe not solution moment, right? People that are active listeners and can really take in what they're hearing and then be able to kind of step back, work with all of the right resources to be able to, to bring back thoughtful solutions to the customer. Um, I would also say people that are resilient. I think if, if there's anything we've learned over the last year, it's that change is, is the new normal and, um, you know, making sure that, and change is the only constant, right? And I think that um, we, we just want to make sure that, you know, customer success, you very quickly become the hub of the organization. You're, you're, you're really there to bring all the players together, make sure you can arrive at a solution that, that drives the most uh, outcomes for the customer. So I think, you know, again, just looking for people that are resilient, that are curious, that, um, you know, can challenge and, and are change agents to be able to influence throughout the company is, is very important. Our uh, uh, survey, um, uh, we do annually a survey at Salesforce called uh, State of the Connected Customer. Uh, we survey, you know, I think it was 15,000 respondents, um, B2B, B2C around the globe. And uh, on average in 2020, uh, individuals uh, would um, engage with brands on average across 10 channels. Mm -hmm. um, and we're forecasting it could be as much as 15 channels moving forward. That's a, that's a big number. <laughs> you know, whether it's your web, your mobile app, social messaging, you know, all sorts of newsletters, events, virtual events, so on and so forth. Um, we did shift to decentralized digital only starting in April of last year and through most of uh, 2020. How do you ensure that when you have all these channels and a shift towards more digital engagements, 
that you maintain the same KPIs, the same uh, you know brand promise as you shift from more of an analog in person to more of a digital only. How do you advise companies to recognize that they need to maintain consistent quality across all the channels that they offer engagement opportunities so that you know you have a consistent experience as you engage with clients? Yeah. That's a really good question. I think, um, you know, making sure that the the journey mapping has been done, you know, as I've come into yeah. unit four and, and really just joined about four months ago, one of the first things that we did was get, get going on customer journey mapping and making sure that all of the various areas of the company understand. And we have an aligned kind of racy model right across the organization yeah. of who's being involved, right from everything from when the customer signs on the line all the way through you know, ultimately getting their implementation completed, making sure that they're realizing value through their success planning and making sure ultimately that they become customer champions and that they renew. Um, you know, I think making sure that at every touch point, we understand who's reaching out, how many times, you know, and how we're collecting that data and connecting that data, right? Because there's so many places to be um, continuously bringing the data in, as you said earlier, but it's really about how do we share that across the organization? And then how do we feedback that data in a way that's meaningful to the customer's business? So, um, you know, I think everybody being aligned and understanding their role in that really plays a huge part and the customer mapping exercises is a critical component to that early on. What you just said, the journey mapping, map to roles and accountability, the racy model, there were golden, golden nuggets of wisdom in that first sentence. So people who are watching, look up these terms if you don't know them, because they're absolutely, it's absolutely sage advice. Uh, uh, sorry, Ray. Yeah, it's, there is a level no, no, of precision no, and discipline that needs to go through consistently managing an omni-channel, delivering a consistent experience. And, uh, and understanding the stakeholders along the journey is super, it's almost like running a four by 100 relay, handing a baton to someone else and making sure every leg of the race is run properly for the team to win. And at any point, if somebody drops the baton, game's over. Uh, sorry. Matt, that's, that's such a good analogy. I feel like I'm running a race. <laughs> yeah, no, in the world you're in, customer success, uh, as you know, it's not a destination. Um, you're that's always true. running. Yeah, <laughs> you're always right. Yeah, that's why the no, grit part and persistence comes into play. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, think about your onboarding, your activation, trying to drive, you know, renewal rates up, trying to drive down CACs. I mean, it's uh, customer acquisition costs for those following. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's not easy, right? And this is something that's important. Um, and a lot of it might come from your background as well. Ta share with us your background, like how you got from, you know, being in, in a role as the customer, being in other areas in the B2C world and working with partners now today and vendors to focus on where CX is going and customer success management. So how yeah. does that inform and how you view the world? So. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you know, early days, I, I spent most of my time on the client side. So in B2B, B2C marketing um, for a variety of large retail companies and um, even starting, you know, earlier on before that on the sales floor, J. Crew, you know, I think about everything I've ever done has been around servicing customers, ensuring that they are um, surprised, delighted all along the journey. And so it was very natural progression for me moving from the client side and various marketing roles from pricing and promotions and strategy to eventually working for a mobile marketing company um, where it was kind of my first flavor of customer success in the SaaS world. And it, I adapted very quickly to it because coming from the client side, I had already kind of been in their shoes and I knew how to be an extension of that team and a, a trusted advisor and 
beyond just what I was doing within the mobile marketing space, was able to kind of have that translate all across their business from a marketing perspective. And then I've just continued to kind of grow and adapt within customer success uh, from, from outcomes to, um, you know, moving from more of a client engagement manager to a, a, a head of customer success at, at companies like Vibes and then Flexera and now Unit 4. So I think, you know, I've always enjoyed connecting the dots, helping uncover pain points and finding solutions for customers. Uh, it's I think if you're if you're a people person and you're somebody that enjoys working with customers, it's kind of built within your DNA. So, yeah, I, you know, I, it's it's evolved over time, but I, I love it. It's it's an incredibly rewarding space um, because you can see tangible results when you do it well. You know, when you become a trusted advisor, when when customers come to you with uh, you know seeking advice beyond just business and building their tech investment thesis. When I think of future of customer success management, I think about companies being able to mature in terms of how they measure customer effort, you know, using technologies like machine learning and AI to be able to predict and anticipate effort. Um, they become more mature in understanding rate of adoption. So is the customer getting the full return on investment in the solutions that they're buying? Most customers, even the most advanced customers, in my opinion, in the enterprise space are probably using less than 10% of what the platform offers. Uh, so the consumption gap keeps getting wider and wider. Their usage versus ability of the solution keeps growing. And so I think success is making sure your customers have great adoption and use of technology. I think of social promoter score versus net promoter score, changing the question from would you recommend to have you recommended to whom and did it result in business? So as the world becomes more decentralized, more social, we should be able to anticipate these uh, levels of advocacy without having like, you know, quarterly or annual surveys. It should be in real time with tone and sentiment analysis. Uh, so this is what I think of customer success management in, in the future. Are there any other areas that excite you about what uh, CSM would look like maybe three, five, 10 years from now? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of what you just said is is extremely exciting and being able to connect all the data together. Um, you know, we, as I mentioned earlier, you know, with Gainsight, we are actually, that's one of the tools that we've purchased and that we're utilizing, which is really allowing us to better uncover a lot of the health metrics that would allow us to dig deeper into adoption and utilization and you know, length of stay and all the different things that you want to understand as a customer success manager so that you can continue to push customers to better adopt and better use more of the platform so they're getting more value faster. Um, you know, I think also some of the, the different um, customer success models that I talked about and the, the continuous kind of expanded range of customer success is exciting because I think organizations are realizing that customer success managers are talking to customers all the time. And so it's yeah. just very organic for us to be able to uncover, you know, the opportunities to be able to find new references and advocates for a number of different places and, and play. Um, so I think it, what's exciting to me is that I think what we're just starting to see now is scratching the surface of what this, um, this discipline can become. And I think that just continuing to um, work within the industry and get more data at our fingertips and drive more voice to the customer throughout organizations, it's going to just continue to grow and we're going to be able to help customers even more than we can today. I love that. Improving decision velocity based on data maturity. That, that's at the heart of it. Absolutely. 100% agree. 100%. Sorry. We're here with Michelle McCarthy, Global Vice President of Customer Success at Unit 4. She's pioneering in customer success. You can follow the company Twitter handle at Unit 4 Global, and you'll be seeing a lot more of them in North America the next year. So thanks a lot for being Dr. on the Michelle, show. You're terrific. And, uh, happy Thank Friday. Thank you so much for having me. Happy Friday.
Take care. Thank you. Thanks so much. You were terrific. Rain, my head is spinning. <laughs> and it's not going to get easier with David. So this is awesome. <laughs> this is why it's not going to get easier with David. It's not going to get easier because get ready to get, you know, have your mind expanded even some more. Uh, David Gang, CEO and co-founder of BrightSpot. BrightSpot believes technology. <laughs> BrightSpot believes technology should enable content-focused teams to work smarter, faster, and more seamlessly to move businesses forward. Uh, BrightSpot helps companies transform their business content and digital experience by creating enterprise application at scale. And I love this astonishing speed. Trust me, speed is the most important currency in the digital economy. David's guiding uh, BrightSpot to become one of the fastest growing and most innovative product development companies in the digital experience space. Prior to BrightSpot, he was a chief technology officer at WebMD. And before that, David held positions at executive vice president, AOL products, where he was responsible for product strategy and product development for AOL services, AOL brands, and AOL web properties. A big job. You can follow David on Twitter at GangEROO, G-A-N-G-E-R-O-O. -O. Welcome, David, to the Shrub TV. Thanks, Vaughn. Thanks, Ray. Glad to be here. It's Gangaroo. Just a Gangaroo. <laughs> I've just kept it around for you. That's true. <laughs> it's legendary, I hear, but uh, we'll have that for another discussion. But, uh, you know, I, we're talking about digital, digital experiences and digital transformation playing a role. Um, and we always talk about it in an external way, never talk about it as an internal communication strategy. You're looking at this in a different approach. So talk about it as an internal strategy as opposed to what's commonly thought of as an external strategy. Yeah, I think it's really interesting, especially with the other two speakers as well, is when, when you look at, um, you know, 2020, it was really, uh, you know, the, the, the place that you have to look at how you're talking to your employees. You know, your employees are, in fact, the people you want to have be the biggest brand loyalists. You want them, they're the most important stakeholders in the company. They're ones that are going to build that relationship with your customers. Mm -hmm. And in, in 2020, they all, all of a sudden became, you know, mega dispersed, like everybody was everywhere. And a lot of companies have always had this central place of HR documents, training material, company policies, but there aren't that many that have thought about it as true customer experiences and wanting to make sure that they could measure the happiness and success of their employees through the continued dialogue that they should be having with each other, with the all-stars of their company, with the executives of their company, and just building up that ongoing brand loyalty that's necessary with any stakeholder. And certainly the most important stakeholder you have is the people that are carrying your badge and talking about your company every day. Very well I said. Had a, I, so. I, I saw, a, I'm trying to remember the VC, uh, he was a prominent venture capitalist. I saw on my Twitter feed say, every company is a media company. Uh, and they just need to realize <laughs> that. Um, I tend to believe that. I believe that when we talk about uh, journey mapping and customer success and you know you're looking at scenario plans you're building models and at some point that moment of truth you need to deliver value and that value often comes through content uh, whether it's internal you know, stakeholders or external what are your thoughts about you know as again and even more so when you're decentralized digital companies building that muscle of developing the right content to the right persona at the right channel at the right time in order to create value at the speed of need and, and you don't dictate the speed of needs. It's your stakeholder, whether it's your external or internal customer. What are your thoughts about really companies building that muscle what, what, that you would typically see in a media company? I think that's 100% correct. I think that's exactly what the opportunity is for, for companies, is to realize that 
all of that energy that's gone into building you know, great digital experiences to talk about or sell your product, whether that's to a consumer or to another business, you know, you know, millions and millions of dollars go into that. And then you take it to the next level, which is, um, you know, how am I, how am I talking to my employees? And that always just gets a step down uh, because you've just dialed in on talking to uh, your customers. And, you know, a few years ago, companies like Coca-Cola and J&J pioneered this whole idea of content storytelling, just about the company, not just a brochure website, but let's make the, the corporate websites uh, media experiences. And, and Coke was one of the first ones to do that. J&J has done a fabulous job of that. Now you got to yeah, go to the next level, which is we should be doing that for employees. We should be talking to our employees in a way that they uh, embrace and love all of the media brands that they they look at every single day. So whether it's a social brand, a traditional media brand, a broadcast brand, you you get that loyalty to those. And that's where you go for your information. That's where you go to get connected with the rest of the world. And your corporation should you know be part of that experience. Yeah, no, that transmedia so storytelling was very, very effective, right? And, and totally missing in, in uh, you know, in the market before that. And you're saying yeah. doing that internally uh, with, with good content is one way to do that, so. Absolutely. And I don't think it's just content. It is a multi-channel approach, right? Because it it involves your, you know, the, the executives of global companies coming, you know, talking about themselves and what they do and, you know, touching their employees. It takes the leaders of that. It takes the brainchilds and the, you know, brilliance that exists in every company about new things that they're doing and researching, whether that's a food product or a, you know, a vaccine or an automobile, you know, you got to talk about those things and, you know, cause we all want to be better and think about what the coolness is about what we do. And then you want to talk about the regular stories of the people that work every day and, and just add real value to your customers. So I think it's not just that storytelling, traditional storytelling, but it is the, you know, 360 storytelling that you're going to get from employees, leadership, uh, reaching out to the community, things that people are doing in, in their communities that are, you know, part of them just being, you know, somebody every day that's contributing to your company. Actually, no, just absolutely. to jump in real quick. So you're saying brand storytelling, DAM, commerce, CMS, everything's coming together, microsites all in the one for the employee. It has to. It absolutely has to. If you want okay. to maintain, you know, you talk about things like net promoter scores, like the best promoter you have. It's the people that work for your company. Those are the people that own your hey, brand, believe in your brand. Whether well, they're maybe the employee promoter score is going to be the new metric. Well, we, we've coined it here. Uh, uh, <laughs> EPS. No, absolutely. It's the new absolutely. metric. And that and, and so when you think about that, historically it's been a technology decision. Like what technology do we need for our internet? Where are we going to store our stuff? What kind of LMS do we need? That's what the traditional thought process has been. But it's not that anymore. It is all of those technologies coming together with a team that's been empowered to drive a successful media company inside your business. You know, just to, to sort of steal your your concept of it being a media company, because that's really what it is. Is I've I've got to tell that story, and I've got to use every vehicle that I need to to communicate back and forth with my employees. Yeah, so company thing. I don't know where you got it from, but I'll take it and I'll use it myself. I think it's Gary Vaynerchuk, right? Yeah. Uh, it was a VC, and I, it'll come to VC? me. Uh, but, but, okay. but yeah, it was a VC. And you know, I do think that you know, um, I do think that you have to think like a media company because you know, uh, when I think of stories, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it's always about someone else. When I think of a narrative, it's open-ended. Um, you know, there isn't a destination, and it's very inclusive. I think some of the best storytellers are actually sharing a narrative 
And when I think about the pandemic and I think about the next normal or the new normal or this period of uncertainty that we're going through, there are no experts about the future. So you really have to shape a narrative of what you think based on trends, based on regression analysis, based on expert input. And I think successful media companies shape a narrative. They don't necessarily uh, you know, have a beginning and a middle and an end, and, and it's more of an inclusive model. And I do think to build um, employee commitment and advocacy, you have to buy into the why, and then the what and the how. <laughs> but that why is really important, and that's the, the power of narrative. So my question after that long-winded commentary was, what's preventing companies to do just that? What's the problem with internet environments where the internal stakeholders are able to create that momentum, that sense of excitement and belonging to really bolster and reveal a company's culture and core values, knowing that people buy not just what you make, but why you make it? Well, I think we've seen, um, you know, over the last you know couple of years, we've seen companies sort of start to bring all of those things they've learned about being a media company to their employees, not, not a, you know, a, a ton of them, but a few of them have done that. The leaders have done that. And I think what's going to happen now because of that pandemic, we're all forced into rethinking the, the workforce. So even though you're a global company, you still have lots of people in one place and we expect they're going to communicate with each other and talk about the company. Now you're moving to, you know, everybody's really kind of thinking through this hybrid model where some people are in the office and some are remote. How am I going to do team growth with people that are in all these different places? How am I actually going to tell my story because I can't walk by somebody yeah. and hear about the really cool thing that happened with a sale that I made or a product that I built? So that's going to force the discussion around, well, what's the vehicle for that? And it's all digital vehicles. It is 100%. You know, the web, social, mobile, OTT experiences, you know, could be Oculus type experiences. You just got to figure out what's the best way to get a rich experience about your company into the hands of your most important stakeholder, which is the employees of your company. And then how do you measure that success? You know, similar to those, you know, uh, brand companies doing content storytelling, you can't measure that in millions of page views. You might write a really compelling right. story about something that happened uh, with employees of your company in a, in a country halfway around the world. And then there's going to be a thousand, 1500 people that read that, that still might be very successful because they might be the right thousand or 1500 people. So within the, the employee promoter score, you, you're going to have to figure out what those measurements are. And the, and the executives of the company have to buy into that. And the employees of the company have to believe that's the first place they want to go. You know, when they start thinking about their work every day, they want to go to that that media experience that company is putting together. Absolutely, and I guarantee you, if you created a heat map of employee engagement across the content that you produce, and you map that to retention heat map, I, I, it's, and, and I may be wrong, but the, the, the electrical engineer mathematics in me says, I, the probability of most engaged being most loyal, highest retention, will be the proof point that any CEO needs to recognize that the, media, the companies that do well in terms of engaging internal external stakeholders operating as a media company will have the largest lifetime value of a customer, largest uh, employee retention, largest advocacy through NPS, CSAT, SPS, whatever the metric may be. It just, it just seems like common sense. I just don't think companies are digitally mature enough to create that correlation and have the tools 
And it surprises me because I would think even human capital management software like Workday should have machine learning models that measure retention based on engagement and correlate those things. Uh, and, and the last thing I would say is that it's a competitive advantage because in a world that's distributed and remote, imagine the, ch the challenge companies now of hiring talent because your sexy tall building in the middle of city center is no longer a draw. You can have talent work from anywhere, which means you've democratized all companies and physical location is no longer a perk. It's that digital engagement across multiple channels that's gonna draw talent into your business. So I think it's a massive competitive advantage the sooner you can you know, build that media company muscle. Sorry, Ray, <laughs> I didn't mean to ramble. But. It is a lot of muscle change though. It really is, right? When you, when you think about the things that need to go into changing that muscle because it's feeling comfortable telling that story. It's feeling comfortable talking about the company. It's actually engaging with employees on a way more regular basis uh, through simple things like looking, making search a prominent part of your intranet experience and seeing what people type in the box and responding to that promptly. Like, what did people search on today? What are we really saying about that? How easy is it to get them the right information? What are we doing about training rather than just having all that training stored someplace? What are we doing to make sure people are engaged in that and creating experiences that allow people to host and run training sessions? Uh, you know, what are the principal great customer experiences that are going on? How do you bring those to life? All those things that you think about when you're building a media property. Yeah. You know, how do I bring my my story to life? Well, the story is happening every single day at your company. How do you bring that story to life through you know push you know, mechanisms, delivering it on a web experience? All that stuff is just a, a muscle memory change. But once people see the impact of that and hear about those great stories, I, I think it's going to happen you know much quicker over the next couple of years. My sense is your company is shining a bright spot on areas of friction removing the friction and creating flow where people can create value at the speed of need. And I love that. <laughs> well, interesting quick story about the, the name, by the way, is when we when we sat and we talked about the name uh, and what we wanted to call the company and call the product, the idea of Bright Spot was to be a bright spot in somebody's day. And that was our customer, that was our employees based on what kind of office environment we had, what we did for them, benefits, how we talked to them and of course society and what we give back. So that was the whole concept of the name was to make sure you were in fact a price by people's day. That's true. We all need it, we all need it. So hey, I wanna take a step back and, and talk about some of your entrepreneurial experiences and some experiences in the uh, DC metro area. And it's really just to take a reflection on where startups have been and where they're going. Um, so we've, we've seen a lot of advancements uh, in the area and the tech community in the uh, DC area. And, and part of the show is really talking about, you know, trying to highlight some of the cool things that are happening. How do you rate the tech community in DC today? It's gone far further away from telecom, gov tech. Has it gone into other areas? Um, you know, are, are you seeing a lot of support among entrepreneurs and uh, startup founders in the area? I, you know, I'm actually not from here, although I am now. I've been here since 1995 when I came here for AOL. And I think it's a great place to start a business. I think there's a lot of high quality talent here. It's a great place to live. Um, and it's very receptive. There's a, you know, a lot of people that have you know done well over time that are trying to help people start their businesses and do the right thing. You've got great university systems and yeah. and people just want to live around um, you know around this area. So, you know, hopefully nation's capital is a relatively good place to live over the next few years. Um, but it's, uh, I, I think it's a great place to start a company. That's true. David, my last question, 
take us, and I asked uh, previous guests the same, you know, what, what, what would collaboration platform look like in the next five years? What can we anticipate to see that, you know, we may, it may not be on our radar today? Well, it's sort of funny. Uh, we were chatting about Clubhouse uh, earlier on. Uh, <laughs> right. and I think we'll have that, a special announcement later. <laughs> uh, well, I, it's not my not my product, but you know, I, I think that the idea of you know talking and communicating and doing it in real time uh, versus it all being text and kind of offline is you know, I, I think going to come back in much much more interesting ways. And I think the fact that the pandemic disrupted the way that we think and the way that we work. I think the investment that's going to happen into driving uh, virtual experiences that feel like you're next door, um, it, it, you know, that, that there's just going to be much more interest in bringing that to life. Like what's a real event look like that's not just a bunch of things plastered on a computer screen. You know, the idea of, uh, you know, Oculus type products, like what's going to happen really with uh, AR and VR now that you know you can't, there's something more disruptive is going to happen in our health life for sure. And that, you know, we've seen it. Uh, so I think that that investment is going to change the way we all uh, communicate and collaborate and drive innovation in those areas. I agree. This is great. Hey, thanks a lot. We're here with David Gang, CEO and co-founder of Brightspot. And you can follow him on Twitter at Gangaroo. We'll join you later in the back uh, in the green room uh, after the show to catch up. But thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for sharing the experiences. And we're going to see if we're internal collaboration, employee experience, content management, and intranets all come together. So thanks a lot. Hey, and Bala, thanks so much for having thank me. You. Appreciate your time today. Cheers. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Ray, episode 223. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, Wow. Yeah. No, no, no. Honestly, just wow. Uh, it's an hour of expanding our minds. And uh, next week, episode 224, we're getting closer to our 700th interview over the course of five years. Uh, our first guest will be Paul Darty, Group Chief Executive Technology and Chief Technology Officer at Accenture. On the 17th, Accenture will publish their annual report of Tech Vision 2021. And uh, Paul will be there as one of the principal authors speaking to us about the report next Friday. Deb Mills Schofield, strategic innovation consulting venture capitalist, mentor, and advisor. Deb is one of our favorite guests. She mentor women executives at Brown University and is a venture capitalist and an educator and just an incredible person. And Wilson Pang, chief technology officer at uh, Appen. Uh, that will be our uh, episode 20, uh, two, 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 for next next Friday. Ray, uh, closing remarks and perhaps a special announcement in terms of what we're going to experiment uh, next week with Disrupt. Yeah. So um, first of all, hey, this has been wonderful. What a crazy week. A lot of interesting news and uh, some awesome guests as always. Um, so we're going to be on Clubhouse for fun. Uh, we're going to do a little open Q&A with fans, uh, guests, folks that we'll bring into the uh, conversation. And that's going to happen at 10 o'clock a.m. Pacific next Friday, the 19th. So you get a chance to kind of catch up, talk to us, get a little bit of our thoughts here. We kind of prep behind the show and all that will be available uh, at 10 on Clubhouse. We'll set up the club room and uh, you'll be able to join us there. Uh, but more importantly, uh, what's going on in your world? What's what's changed over the last week or two? So, I, I, you know, I've had uh, incredible customer meetings this week uh, with some of the biggest brands in the world um, and across maybe a half a dozen different sectors just this week. So again, 
you know, beginning of a calendar year, companies are looking to really tackle big projects. And I have the, I've had the fortune of speaking to several CMO, CIO, CDO, you name it, a, a, an array of titles <laughs> uh, with some really super interesting companies. So it's, uh, it's amazing how much culture is part of the conversation because they're going through some significant change management. Companies are looking at things now as necessity that nice to have. So they're leaning into my company, Salesforce, to really accelerate these projects. And uh, so I think 2021 is gonna be um, as significant as 2020 in terms of continuing to change and digitize uh, across processes, relationships, insights, products and services, new business models. There's so many dimensions and depending on the maturity of the company, the conversations are going everywhere. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's that, that's great. Uh, and as far as no, Clubhouse, let us, let us know, I mean, you know, we're thinking 30 minutes because we have to get on the show before before the show, the show yeah. uh, half hour before. So let us know if half hour is enough for us to have a conversation. If you need to start earlier than 10, when we announce, uh, you know, let us know if you want to have a full. We're talking about podcasting lessons. We've done five years of podcasting. We're getting average of 30,000 views a show. So I think we've made a lot of mistakes, but we've learned a lot and are doing some good things. So <laughs> Ray and I want to share lessons learned. Uh, and so if you're in the world of podcasting, I think you might uh, learn something and we may learn from you for sure. So I, I just want to make sure we don't cut off the, you know, the discussion half hour because we have a hard stop half hour before our show goes. And the times that Ray are talking are Pacific time. So by 1030 Pacific, we need to transition to Disrupt TV show. <laughs> so let us know if that half hour is sufficient. If not, we'll pull back another half hour and be there with you for an hour. Um, I'm going to defer right. to Ray. He's the clubhouse expert. I'm a rookie. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. But yeah, so we'll see you there on clubhouse, 10 o'clock AM Pacific on the 19th. Uh, ask your questions about podcasting. Also come by and say hi. So we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and if you don't have an account, uh, sign up. I think there's a slight waiting list, but let us know. We might know someone to be able to help you there. So, but Hey, this has been great. We've talked about all the big issues that are important to executives this week from leadership to customer success management and employee experiences. Stay tuned to us next week. If it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Follow us at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern every Friday. And uh, happy Friday, everyone. Take care. Bye, everyone.